0: Good evening, everyone. Before we get started tonight, please join us in reciting the Pledge of Allegiance.
1: I pledge, pledge allegiance, allegiance
0: to, to the, the
2: flag, flag of, of the, flag
0: flag flag of America, of the United, United States of America,
2: and to, to the, the republic
3: with which it which which stands, states,
2: one nation, nation, under, under God, 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 indivisible, indivisible.
3: With liberty, liberty and justice, justice
0: for all. Thank you. Um, welcome everyone to tonight's panel discussion: Navigating Veteran Benefits for the Entire Family. My name is Erica Kirkus, and I'm the Volunteer Services Coordinator and We Honor Veterans Program Coordinator at VNA Hospice of Northwest Indiana. Thank you for taking the time to tune in to tonight's presentation and special thanks to our moderator, panelists, and We Honor Veterans Committee for making tonight possible. A few housekeeping items before we get started. We will be recording tonight's presentation for those who were not able to be here live. Audience, please be sure to stay muted during the presentation so we can hear our panelists. If you have any questions, Please put them in the chat box below. We have someone moder- monitoring the chat box, and questions will be answered at the end of the presentation. At this time, I would like to introduce our moderator for this evening, VNA Hospice of Northwest Indiana President and CEO Bob Franco.
1: Thanks, Erica. Appreciate that. Um, everything works better with Zoom, doesn't it? You know, as we were doing that Pledge of Allegiance there, it's everybody's trying to hear each other and kind of go at the same pace. Um, so thanks, Erica. Hey, that's somebody that is going to be monitoring our chat room, that's Dorothy. Um, I think you could probably see her um, if you scroll around on the pictures there somewhere. Um, so Dorothy, Holland, thank you very much for moderating the, uh, the questions as they come in um, on the chat box. Um, we appreciate you doing that. Um, as Erica said, my name's Bob Franco. Um, it's my privilege to serve as president and CEO of the VNA. Um, one of the best things about my job and Jim Atkinson and I were talking about this a little bit before we all got online here. Um, one of my favorite parts of my job is the work that we do with veterans um, and, and working with Erica and our We on Our Veterans program. To be honest with you, when I took the job three years ago, I knew absolutely nothing um, about that program or that it was even a part of hospice. Um, and it's been a blast learning about it. Um, and it's something that we take very, very seriously at the VNA and have invested quite a bit in over the last couple of years. This is a product of that, is doing um, these virtual panel discussions. Um, maybe someday we could do them even live um, again, which would be even more fun. So I'd like to introduce our panelists. They're really the star of the show. Um, so we have Jim Atkinson, former Porter County Veteran Service Officer, and he's uh, one of our. Wonderful VNA hospice volunteers. We have Angelica Schultes. Um, she's a partner with Blakely, Tabor, Bozick, and Hartman. Um, and then we have Jim Imhoff, um, who's the current Porter County veteran Service Officer. So I'll let each one introduce themselves and tell a little bit about themselves and their job. So, Jim, why don't you start us off? Jim Atkinson.
2: Thank you, Bob. I'm a uh, Marine Corps veteran that served uh, in Vietnam. I am um, Served the last 13 years of my working career uh, from October of two, to 2008 until April of two, 2021, almost 13 years as the uh, veteran service officer for Porter County, something I'm extremely proud of. And uh, I know heard a lot of good things about Jeff in the office. So I'm glad that he's part of the uh, panel tonight. Thank you for uh, letting me be, uh, be involved with this.
1: It's our privilege to have you involved, Jim. So thank you for doing it. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you, everything that you've done for veterans, especially in our county. Um, and thank you for your service as well. Angelica, Angie.
3: I thank you. Uh, again, I am an attorney and partner with Blatchley, Tabor, Bozik and Hartman here in Valparaiso. Uh, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary with the firm. I have been practicing law since, 20, since 2009 and I've been an accredited representative uh, with the VA since 2010. Uh, so that means I, I'm accredited with the VA to practice veteran disability law, which I have been doing since 2010. Uh, I, am, I do not have any military service. Um, my, my father was a veteran of the army and grandfathers were World War II veterans, um, but I am a, a, an auxiliary member of the American Legion. And thank you very much for having me tonight.
1: Thanks, Angie, we appreciate it. And thank you for all your service that you do for our veterans. It's, I'm, we're grateful for you and the, the help and support that you provide for them, but it's a shame that we even have to have a position <laughs> of somebody who's an attorney for veteran services, um, it should just be much easier than that, right? Um,
3: I, yeah, I agree.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're glad you're there to help. Um, and then we have Jim Imhoff. So Jim.
4: All right. Um, my name's Jeff Imhoff. Uh, I'm sorry. You're fine. You're fine. Thank you for the kind words, Mr. Atkinson. Um, as he had just said, he's kind of walked away from what I'm currently doing right now, and I'm blessed to have this position. Uh, So currently I'm one of three veteran service officers here in Porter County. Uh, We have a ready and willing and able team to help veterans with their benefits and really just any type of um, issues that veterans have, we welcome with open arms. A little bit about me. I'm a six-year combat veteran of the Army. I was in special operations for the entire six years with 2nd Ranger Battalion and I deployed four times and I'm just blessed to be able to help out fellow veterans. So thank you for having me here as well.
1: Thanks, Jeff, I appreciate that. Sorry for bumbling your name. I spend all of a dollar eighty-five on my reading glasses here and um, it shows. Um, so thank you and thank you for your service and thanks for participating tonight. Maybe that's a good place to start. You started talking a little bit about, um, what the, the veteran service officer does. Can you just expound on that a little bit more, um, you know, about what your role is and, and how do people access you?
4: Sure. So one of the ways that I like to describe the position is we're just an all encompassing veterans, you name it. Um, we primarily deal with filing disability compensation or pensions or awards uh, for veterans, discharge, I mean, everything. That's why I kind of say it's an all-encompassing program. Um, I like to think of myself as a semi-knowledgeable lawyer, semi-knowledgeable medical professional, and a mentor. Uh, so that's really what we do. Um, we're just there. I, just a couple weeks ago, I spent hours helping an elderly veteran fill out a job application because he, he was not very savvy with with computers. So we just kind of do it all.
1: Great, thank you. Um, I think that's helpful, Jim. You current you previously served in that role that Jeff currently um, fills. Um, can you tell us a little bit about um, who qualifies for VA benefits?
2: Um, my experience. Uh, Taught us that um, through our training, um, through accreditation and everything, that you have to have a, uh, you know, of course, a a DD 214 that shows uh, good service, anything but dishonorable or bad conduct pretty much will get you uh, benefits. And eligibility comes from uh, before 1980, September and October 1980, you have to have 90 days of, uh, you know, good service. Um, and that would uh, qualify you for VA benefits. Uh, after 1980, October 1980, then you have to have 24 consecutive months. And of course, there are some exceptions to that and if you filled out your um, your course, your term of uh, uh, service. Um, when I look back at uh, all that we could do to help veterans and their families, uh, it is such a rewarding job and uh, I know this speaks for Angie and Jeff, uh, very much so, but uh, every time that you go ahead and, and uh, have an appointment and you're there to, to hear their story and how you can perhaps help them, um, you learn from them. But we are constantly doing research for uh, helping build a good claim for legal uh, strength and of course, medical evidence, so, um, we help with healthcare enrollment, uh, disability benefits, like Jeff said, pensions for uh, you know surviving spouses and that, uh, which can make a big difference in their life. It goes from an $860 a month social security check to a uh, maybe a Depensing Identity Compensation Award, uh, which is uh, right now 1437, I believe a month. It makes a big difference in their lives. So uh, we do change lives and From there, we uh, go ahead and take the third uh, department in the VA and then of course the burial and funeral and help out uh, in that regard also. So I hope that answers some of your questions, Bob. Yeah, it
1: sure does. I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking a little bit about, um, you know, those of us that are not veterans, but advocate um, for veterans, um, can talk just a little bit more if you could about you know, when we hear VA benefits, what does that really mean? Uh, what comes with VA benefits? I know that you talked about some of the the three pieces of that, but in terms of healthcare, um, you know, can you describe that a little bit more for those of us who are not associated with the VA?
2: Okay, Bob, I'll try. There's actually uh, eight categories that uh, provide eligibility for uh, healthcare enrollment for veterans and their families. Uh, One through five basically are disabled vets, anywhere from 0% on a disability to uh, 100%. That would automatically uh, provide uh, coverage for them. Anything over 50% disability provides uh, free medication for that veteran for the rest of their life. Um, So in sixth category, uh, you look at uh, Vietnam veterans uh, of Agent Orange exposure and of course, Iraqi and Afghanistan uh, veterans that have five years free enrollment. Um, and there's of course toxic exposure, uh, and uh, um, the um, Lejeune the contaminated water falls into category six, seven, and eight are basically financial. I believe in Porter County, and Jeff would know better, but uh, it used to be right around forty-one, forty-two thousand dollars as a means test. If the veteran uh, would uh, go ahead and uh, provide a copayment, then, uh, and they were underneath the means test for um, health care eligibility. There, then that would provide coverage for that veteran also. So,
1: okay, yeah, thank you for that. That was helpful. See Erica, it took me all of two questions to get off script. Um, I'm I'm here to learn tonight too. So thank you for that, Jim. That was helpful, Jeff. Um, if someone becomes Medicare eligible. Um, typically, what we're looking at is somebody 65 and over for Medicare, and there, there's some other criteria for that, of course, too. Um, do they still need to consider VA
4: benefits? Absolutely. Always, always, always. Um, and a lot of the times I get that question kind of in reverse. Um, for some veterans that are already enrolled with health care, they want to know if they can get rid of or just not enroll with Medicare. You absolutely could do that. Not suggested. Do not do that. Um, but always have the VA because it will play in the background with Medicare. And the VA sometimes, and at least in my time so far, I have seen the VA healthcare system pick up some prescriptions that Medicare did not. And those were some very expensive uh, prescriptions.
1: Okay, thanks. A, a question just came in and I think this is something that we are going to touch on in a little bit, but we might as well go ahead and um, ask about it now. There was an admission question related to veteran spouses. Does the VA provide benefits to family members? That question to me. Any of the panelists.
4: Okay. Uh, yes, sometimes it does. It is situational when it comes to spouses and it comes to dependents in general of the veteran some certain qualif- or criteria needs to be met in order to do that and one of those things is that the veteran is already determined to be 100 percent permanent and total uh, disabled that opens up what we call CHAMP VA um, which is a medical program run by the VA which is the way it was described to me is it's an open billing format so you could go to any professional or medical professional that you would you, you so choose, you're not limited to the VA like the veteran sometimes is, and they will bill CHAMP VA 75% of the bill. You will pay 25% of that up to $3,000, which I believe is still the catastrophic cap for that. It may have changed, but $3,000, the last that I heard was the cap.
1: Okay. Uh, All right, thanks. Appreciate that. I hope that answered the question um, for the, I guess, caller. Um, This is for all panelists, and maybe sometimes people have the incorrect assumption that upon discharge um, from service that people, that veterans aren't just automatically enrolled in the VA um, for VA benefits. How does someone go about signing up for VA benefits?
4: Okay, Uh, for healthcare, so when um, you retire out of the military, uh, presuming that you finished your tour of duty, so to speak, and you had honorable service, you're going to have, I believe, five years of coverage during a a period of war. Uh, basically with no deductibles, you're, you're just covered at that point. I, I, I want to say it's 180 days to do any type of dental work. If you did not have it done prior to getting out of the military, a lot of the times as you're exiting out, they do dental, they do all kinds of medical stuff for you. Um, and now I believe that a lot of the disability claims are being handled right up front as they're exiting the military. So you're not leaving the service and then filing for benefits. You're going to file for benefits as you're exiting the military, which is a good thing. It's a really good thing. Now, to answer the question about how do you enroll in uh, health care as a veteran, you would seek out one of us, a veteran service officer, every county has them in one shape or form, uh, or a accredited service officer uh, with you know the American Legion, the DAV, all the big names, and have them file what's called a 1010EZ. That is your qualification for healthcare benefits. Um, takes about 30 minutes to fill out the form. Um, we have to prove your service. It has to meet the criterion. Uh, to be eligible for healthcare, and we just mail it in. It's very simple, uh, very painless.
1: Okay, and so that is—it's an in-person. Is there a, can people go online to do that, or is it Absolutely. more helpful to come to talk to you?
4: Sure. So I would always advise to come speak to a, a, a accredited service officer first and foremost with any questions that you have. If you are savvy with a computer you can go to va.gov and you can navigate through the system about how to file for any of these issues that we're gonna talk about today. So for compensation, pension, technically the veteran or the person at home could do all of these things, but it's always suggested to come to a veteran service officer that deals with this paperwork on a day-to-day basis
1: and we're in every
4: single county.
1: Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. I think that's really helpful information.
2: Bob, if I could go ahead and add uh, a little bit about uh, benefits to the family uh, that's passed from the veteran. Uh, One is uh, called DIC, Dependency and Identity Compensation. Um, It's absolutely life-changing when you can provide $1,400 plus to to the spouse. Um, And its eligibility comes from um, the veteran being a disabled veteran, and he dies of that injury or illness. Um, and then the uh, eligibility then passes for DIC to the spouse. And uh, along with that comes a $2,000 burial, funeral and burial um, stipend. And um, it's fairly easy to do. I, a lot of it depends on the uh, death certificate and uh, one of the uh, three or four major contributing factors in their, their passing, but uh, it's a great benefit to the spouse And I think most veterans, uh, when they're terminal and they know that uh, their days are numbered, uh, the best thing they could do in their life is to go ahead and look out for their spouse. And uh, we were were rewarded uh, very much so by being able to help uh, spouses that way, so.
1: Okay, thank you. That was helpful. That, That kind of segued right into our next question was one that I think that we've touched on in a couple of different ways already is about benefits that are available to spouses and children. Is there anything else more about that, that any of the panelists would wanna add about services that are available to spouses and kids?
3: Sure, I'll I'll add to that. Um, My practice scope is limited to veteran disability law, so I don't get into the other areas. However, the benefit that I primarily see in my area is for uh, added benefits for uh, veterans who have been found uh, to have service-connected or secondary service-connected disability benefits. Um, So, for example, the the veteran has to have at least a 30% service-connected disability rating, but if the veteran has dependent, or I'm sorry, has um, a spouse or dependent children, then the VA adds a little bit to the monthly benefit. It's it's not a lot of money, I want to say it's like $136 um, for the spouse, but every little bit helps.
1: Angie, well while you're talking and, and you talking about your role as assisting when they're are issues or denials or, you know, other things that come up, what is like the most common reason that somebody would need to seek you out, um, for services when it comes to, you know, like issues with, with VA?
3: Sure. Uh, I, I meet with any veteran who has a rating decision that is less than one year old. Uh, there's a there's a one year limit to appeal that rating decision. Uh, sometimes the veteran, and oftentimes the veteran will tell me, I, I've been fighting this on my own for many years, and I'm not getting anywhere. I just need your help. Uh, a lot of times, veterans will come to me um, when there are complex legal issues involved such as a case getting ready to go to the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims. Uh, And an attorney is necessary in that situation. I see a a lot of veterans with uh, Agent Orange exposure who have been denied throughout the years because their particular type of cancer isn't on the presumptive list of disabilities. And it just... It just takes someone who kind of knows the ins and outs on how to prove Agent Orange exposure and knows where to get that evidence.
1: Okay, wow. It,
4: <laughs> Can I uh, a lot I to do that?
1: To yeah, go to Jeff, you. please.
4: So a lot of the times when a veteran is looking at the presumptive list, they may say to themselves, well, this is the end all be all. Agent orange causes a lot of other disorders as well. They're just not presumptives. If we can prove the causal link between Agent Orange exposure and whatever XYZ disease is that the veteran has, then you absolutely have a fight to, to be had.
1: Okay. Good to hear. You know, those again, those of us that aren't veterans and that haven't had to access VA services. You know, you hear a lot of things in the media. There's a lot of stuff on social media. And there's just uh, sometimes there's a little bit of information that goes out and it catches by wildfire. And then it just becomes the truth, you know, the perceived truth. And, you know, that there was sometimes you'll hear people talk or you'll read things online or hear things, you know, on TV or whatever. About how difficult it is to get into the V A, or that there's long waits, or you know that the quality of care, you know, in the V A is lesser than you know the quality of care that you can get out on the free market. I suspect maybe there's somebody had some issue somewhere, and it kind of grew into something like that. But um, how would, and this is for anybody on the panel, how do you retort that? How do you how do you respond when you hear those things?
2: Bob, um, I'd like to go ahead and address that if I could. I've I seen a big difference with our local uh, uh, Adam Benjamin Clinic, our VA clinic in Crown Point. Uh, and of course, their uh, mother hospital is Jesse Brown, the uh, Chicago hospital, um, which does a lot of the special uh, specialist work. But Adam Benjamin turned things around, I think, in my opinion, uh, about seven years ago. Um They have a terrific reputation. Uh, They work, uh, their doctors are, uh, of course, very, very busy. Uh, They they have a great mental health uh, department um, that helps veterans, of course, with regular appointments and referrals to outside uh, specialists in community. They have, uh, you know, uh, eye care. They have um, hearing and uh, hearing aids that are provided to veterans. Uh, they have weekend hours, uh, Saturday hours for a lot of this. Um, they also provide, you know, a pharmacy, a uh, 90-day supply. They mail out to veterans uh, that need their uh, med- medications and they don't have to come in. It's mailed right to their house every 90 days. So I think our Northwest Indiana has good coverage. And and I think veterans, for the most part, are very happy with the uh, health care that they receive with Adam Benjamin and uh, there's also the uh, Community Care Act, uh, the Mission Act that provides uh, the VA doctor to go ahead and authorize a um, you know, private physician to go ahead and take care of that uh, veteran uh, at the VA expense. And uh, you have to get approval, but uh, you know, if they're like over an hour away from uh, Chicago, and getting care there or they're 30 days out. And some of that might've changed Jeff, but um, I find that uh, a lot of people are easily able to get uh, referral to uh, their own community and private care through the VA. So I think it's really stepped up uh, in our area and I think we're very fortunate to have the clinic that we do.
1: Thank you. Jeff, is there anything or Angie, is there anything that you wanted to add to that, like to support that?
4: Uh, absolutely. So there has been a uh, major improvement as Jim was alluding to there um, at Adam Benjamin specifically. Uh, is a place where I go myself. Um, I mean, it's night and day from 2012 when I first walked through those doors and I got out of the military uh, up until a couple of years ago where I was reintroduced into the to the healthcare facility there. Um, as Jim kind of talked about community care, it's a fantastic option to have the va will allow you to go to your community uh, a doctor in your community to receive care as long as it meets the distance requirements and a lot of the times that the va already has a service say at adam benjamin they may ask you to go to adam benjamin to receive that service if they such as like chiropractic work they have chiropractors there now whereas before you you could go to the community care but now they're asking you to go to the va uh, in order to do that, which is fantastic either way you look at it.
1: That's great. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm-hmm. that. That's good information. So what I'm hearing a little bit from both of you and you know, maybe Angie, if you've had something to support too, is that veterans by all means should not be discouraged or dissuaded um, by things that they might have heard or rumor or anything or bad information out there about coming into the VA system. Is Is that a fair statement?
3: I would agree with that. Uh, I make a point of explaining to my clients when I first meet with them that oftentimes the road ahead of them is going to be a long one um, through no fault of their own with the backup of claims being heard and getting hearing dates and you know uh, how COVID has impacted hearings. It can be a long road. But as long as they understand that and they're prepared for that, you know, for the most part, they're, they're they're happy to wait it out and do whatever they need to do.
1: And I'm sure they appreciate that honesty, um, you know, about, you know, you telling them the truth and what's to be expected about that. Um, so, Angie, talk a little bit more then about if somebody were, a veteran were denied eligibility eligibility for B, VA benefits, what would be their next step?
3: Mm-hmm. There are a few options. Um, there is, the first option would be to file an appeal. And the veteran should do that if he or she believes that they have a legitimate reason to believe that the VA should have granted service connection or should have given them a higher rating or an earlier um, effective date. And the reason why filing an appeal is important in, in many respects is because that's the only way to preserve their original effective date. Mm-hmm. So appeal and appeal must be filed within one year of the VA's decision. Other options would be filing a new claim. Um, there are some situations when starting over and filing a new claim would be the best option. Uh, for example, if you receive a new diagnosis that you believe is related to military service, or if a previously service connected disability has worsened, uh, then or, or worsened since the original grant of benefits, um, And then there's, you know, another option of reopening a claim Um, that would happen primarily if a claim was denied by the VA and not appealed within that one year period Um, for the claim to be reopened in that situation, though, the veteran would have to produce and submit new and material evidence. Um, So those are the three options. The most common that I see is appealing that date or appealing that original rating decision and going through that process because you want to preserve that filing date for retroactive benefits.
1: You might have addressed this a little bit earlier, but um, and if so, it probably bears repeating. At what point should they in that appeal process, should they Contact you or engage with you. Or
3: I'm otherwise. happy to meet with with veterans. You know, anytime they have questions.
0: Okay. So,
3: you know, my doors open. Um, I, I can't always help in every situation, but I'm happy to 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 meet with the veteran and answer any questions that I can. Okay. Um, but in order for me to become involved, uh, the veteran would need. A rating decision that was at least, or that was less than one year old, for me to file the appeal and and go from there, or to come to me and say, um, you know, this, I, I I have this rating decision here. I have, uh, for example, um, diabetes, and I was just diagnosed with neuropathy, and I need to file a claim for that, I'm happy to assist the veteran in going through that process of filing that secondary claim.
2: Bob, could I ask Angie a question? Sure. It's on the the, uh, issue or the topic here. Angie, I I learned uh, that the stronger you go in with a strong claim, the better it is for the veteran, of course. And Mm -hmm. at times I know that I didn't do as good as I probably should have, so right now I'm probably uh, doing two appeals, you know, through virtual hearings in the office. I come in and, and Joe lets me uh, use an office there, but I'm doing about two appeals a month. And mm-hmm. we're winning because I think persever- perseverance, and I want veterans to know this, don't give up if you firmly believe that you've got a good claim, whether it's uh, a direct uh, cause, uh, secondary or aggravated uh, issues. Uh, please don't give up if you firmly believe that uh, you have a case here because mm-hmm. we're winning 80% of those appeals. And it's remarkable. You wouldn't think that, but uh, I think the judges out in Washington, D.C. Uh, recognize that if they can help that veteran, uh, they're gonna try to do that. Uh, they were remanded back to regional mm-hmm. office or they'll go ahead and um, make a, a, a decision uh, according to the law that, that they can do at the time. But um, it has uh, great results, and I just want to know if you have any kind of a um, response to that about uh, the success rate, or you know, um, and how would you speak to veterans about appealing?
3: Sure, absolutely. Uh, I, in my experience, if service connection is easy to to make Um, then the veteran may very well have great great success at the regional office level and filing the initial claims in my experience though the more complex the issue is you just have to wait until we get before the board of veterans appeals and i get in front of a uh, a veterans law judge and I, I submit a brief, you know, with with legal. If it is a complex medical situation, I'm very fortunate that I have a doctor that I work with, um, and I can submit medical evidence to him and say, "Hey, doctor, can you, can you give me a favorable report or no?" Um, and and that has helped me a great deal to have. That medical evidence, there making that connection and that nexus. Uh, I have, you know, knock on wood, I, I haven't lost a case before the Board of Veterans Appeals so far.
1: That's terrific. Hey, I I, I want to tidy up a couple of things just in my mind. Um, some questions I've I've heard some terms. Um, you know that you, all three of you have used in. The description of things. And so just in my own mind, again, this is a lot of this is new to me learning about some of the fine detail and the nuances of this. But there's a couple of terms that I just want to make sure that we um, that we circle back to and, and, and this is for all three of you, you can offer a little bit more definition and color to these terms. Um, Angie, when you were talking about, you know, the appeal process, you were talking about rating decision. Um, Jeff, in your opening remarks, um, you were talking about Um, service-connected disabilities. And then somebody, I think Angie or or Jim, you you mentioned a secondary service connection. Um, They all sound a little bit alike, but I'm sure they're very, very different. So let's talk, Angie, talk a little bit about rating decision for us a little bit more, just define it. Sure. When the VA
3: issues a decision on a claim, it's the VA will issue an actual paper decision that is titled rating decision, and it will detail the the claims made um, and give an example of, um, I'm sorry, it will detail the claims made and then give some information on how they make their decisions. But it's an actual paper decision that, Comes in the mail that's issued by the VA called a rating decision, and that's the official decision of the VA on that claim.
1: Okay, and who makes that decision? Is there a, like a board? Is there three or four doctors that have to get together, mm-hmm. or who who makes that?
3: The VA makes that that decision. Okay. Uh, that they they use all evidence available to them. Um, I'm sorry, I should backtrack and say that the rating decision comes from the regional office. Mm -hmm. And the regional office for our area is in Indianapolis. Okay. So the regional office will make a decision using the medical records um, most of the time using uh, a doctor's opinion in the form of a compensation and pension exam. So when a veteran makes a claim, a medical claim, uh, for service connected, then they will send that veteran out for, um, an exam compensation and pension exam and use that doctor's report and opinion in, in reaching the conclusion. Okay.
1: That's helpful. Yeah. Thank you for that. It mm-hmm. clarifies that. Um, let, let's go to the, the, the other two were service connected disability. Um, whoever wants to take that one on to, to clarify that a little bit.
2: If I could, Jeff, I'll go ahead and start here. Um, there's a couple of different ways where the uh, veteran can go ahead and establish uh, a disability. And you do that by direct evidence. Uh, say a veteran has got 90 pounds of gear on his back and he's uh, uh, you know, on some kind of a, a maneuver and he falls into a uh, trench or a hole and he uh, sprains his knee very badly. Uh, that is a direct injury or direct cause. If after a, a certain amount of time, uh, he favors that left side, that knee that's been injured and it's uh, bothering his right knee, that is called a secondary issue, okay? Now aggravation can come a number of different ways, but it's generally uh, described as a an issue, an injury or an illness that started uh, before uh, he took his oath, uh, uh, of office or before he became uh, a, 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 a military person, more or less, but um, so we, there's a, a lot of times a, um, you know, an issue that comes in, it's called uh, 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 presumption of sound, soundness uh, and uh, say that uh, he was on a football high school team and he uh, injured his, his back and he comes in and he's able to go ahead and, and pass a basic uh, entry exam. But uh, maybe six months down the road, uh, he goes to uh, jump school and after a number of jumps, his back is bottom so bad that uh, he's put into a hospital. That is called aggravated circumstances. And you can prove that perhaps by showing that there was an issue before uh, an entry exam and that it was aggravated and got worse. So. Those are some of the things that veterans can think about uh, that would qualify them for a disability. And one of the biggest things that I think that we can kind of touch on is that um, the tax-free money, any kind of a disability you know, is tax-free to that veteran and you never have to claim it on your taxes. And uh, it's just a, a wonderful benefit that the government provides. Uh, 10% right now is $152. Uh, 50% right now is uh, $1,050, a hundred percent is, uh, looking at my notes here is, uh, uh, $3,653. And of course, with spousal, uh, you know, uh, benefit, uh, as a dependent and any children involved that goes up, you know, uh, uh quite a bit more, uh, like Angie said in the beginning. So it's tax-free money, uh, encourage anybody that, uh, you know, uh, feels like uh, they've got some kind of an illness or injury that's contributed to active duty. To go ahead and talk to uh, a service officer, uh, an accredited uh, attorney like Angie, and um, you know, and talk over the process and start the uh, the uh, the uh, disability claim. So, Jim, I appreciate you putting that in real life
1: examples like that. That really helps to kind of clarify that. And for us layman in this to really understand it. So thank you. Um, I have a feeling you've explained that before, um, because you um, were very, very good at that. I, I I was thinking as you were talking about that, though, about especially when you're talking about secondary service connection, does that also relate to mental health? So if somebody were to have an injury, a physical injury in the course of service, and then later in life at some point develops An anxiety disorder, depression, PTSD, whatever that may be, does that also qualify?
2: Uh, I'll go ahead and jump in here. Uh,
4: Absolutely. Um, That's what's known as a post uh, service disability. Mm -hmm. Uh, Primarily you see that with exactly what what you just said there with PTSD. A lot of the times veterans do not seek help for it uh, immediately uh, or even understand what it is that is happening to them. Um, mm-hmm. so a little bit down the road, they seek some medical help and they find out that, yes, this is in fact PTSD. Now that is 100% okay to file for. You can wait five years. You can wait a numerous amount of years before you file. Um, we just have to prove the causal link in the chain of uh, evidence, so to speak.
2: That's could, If I could add to that a little bit, what Jeff said uh, under the uh, diagnostic codes, uh, I want uh, veterans to understand that PTSD, anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, bipolar, and schizophrenia are recognized and, and are all compensated at the same percentage or level. So if you don't have PTSD, perhaps a depressive disorder or anxiety disorder, you know, if that's uh, um, of course medically shown or approved can also uh, provide a claim for that veteran. So um, those are all compensated at the same, uh, same level, so. Thank you, that,
1: that's really helpful. And I, I just one quick little thing that I know about this is that prior to coming to the um, VNA a few years ago, I worked in um, primary care and big community health centers in the south and um, we focus a lot on the integration of behavioral health and primary care Um, and so many people come into a health center whether that's the va or community health center or their private physician with some sort of physical complaint yet there really is no biological basis whatsoever for that physical complaint many times it is jim all of the things that you just described there it's anxiety disorders it's depression it's can't sleep. And then you get into that cycle of stuff. Um, It's so the VA by the, has been at the forefront of that for a long time. Um, The medical world is only now starting to kind of follow the VA's lead on what it's been doing with the integration of behavioral health and primary care and having psychiatrists and counselors and therapists embedded into that whole primary care setting. Um, so I, a lot of people don't know that about the VA, but that's been that's been a model that we looked at in primary care about the work that's been done there. So um, congratulations to the VA for recognizing the importance of that. Um, one other thing, Jim, I think you were talking, you mentioned something about um, funeral and burial benefits. I wanna come back and, and tidy that up a little bit more too. And can you talk a little bit more about what benefits are available um, two families in
2: in that area? Sure, Bob. Uh, Basically, if a veteran dies, uh, the benefit to the spouse or to the next of kin, um, and if it is a service-connected cause of death on the death certificate or a major contributing factor, uh, there's a $2,000 burial and funeral benefit. Um, Since uh, September of 2021, Uh, there's been a new law called the Brave Act that's been passed that provides $828 uh, to a spouse or next to kin for, uh, you know, a non-disability cause of death. So that's huge. Uh, It used Mm -hmm. to be just $300, uh, you know, if it wasn't a, um, you know, a cause of death and it was a disability. But now, just um, Bowser, the next of kin, can receive $828 for help with funeral and burial expenses. And it doesn't have to be a disabled veteran. So um, that's that's a, a big help to um, you know families that uh, could really use the extra help of uh, funeral and burial expenses. Um,
1: Jim, that's great for us to know um, in the work that we do at VNA Hospice. Um, because, well, I'm sure you're not surprised, but um, I think a lot of people would be surprised how often that comes up um, in the work that we do, um, that um, how many times that families have to start GoFundMes and
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know railing around and trying to raise funds for a funeral, then we find out that it's a veteran, um, you know, that <laughs> it just goes straight to all of our hearts that we ought to be able to do better. And I don't think a lot of people know about that benefit that you just talked about there. So that's, thank you um, for sharing that. That's really helpful.
2: That's a little uh, financial compensation. There are a couple other uh, things that the veteran uh, is eligible for. And of course that is the military honors uh, at uh, the time of passing. Uh, And that can be done by a local uh, veterans organization or uh, they have a right to have two members of of, uh, that particular branch of service. One member of the, the, Branch has to be part of that two person team, but they can also represent uh, and provide a 21 gun salute, uh, taps, and uh, uh, folding and presenting the flag to next to kin. But uh, every elder, veteran is eligible for a bronze grade marker, you know, that's absolutely supplied to the uh, superintendent of the uh, cemetery. Uh, and that is absolutely free. Sometimes it takes five to six months to, to get that to a, a stone, you know, at uh, the place of uh, rest, but uh, that's free to them. They're also uh, a medallion instead of the, um, the bronze grade marker that they are eligible for if they choose to do so on the back of a, uh, maybe a vertical stone. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, a presidential and gubernatorial certificates uh, for thanking them for their service. And of course, every veteran is eligible for a flag and uh, the funeral director generally takes care of that. But if that isn't the case, uh, then uh, that person can fill out a form and go to the local post office. So uh, a flag is also something that every veteran has earned. So just wanted to add that.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. And I think we, we all know that, how important those ceremonies and that recognition and those pieces are to families. Um, it, it, it's a huge piece of, um, the comfort that, that they get in that process and, um, the recognition that their loved one gets, um, through all of that. It's, it's, it's so important. So, um, thanks for filling us in on that. Erica told me that, um, I have to shut up at eight o'clock because we're, that's, you know, we're going to, um, be finished by then. And I know that we have some questions that have come through on the chat box. So, Dorothy, um, do you want to share with us any questions that have come through through chat?
0: Uh, yes, you,
2: you've covered a couple of them already, Bob, so that's great. Uh, but this one in particular uh, from Brenda, she says, on the healthcare side, we have few nursing homes that will accept VA insurance, and this places a heavy burden on
3: veterans in finding placement that is near the family. Is there a way around this?
2: Jeff, I'll take that right now and maybe perhaps you can build on it and Angie too. But right now there's only two um, nursing facilities in Northwest Indiana that will go ahead and take VA money for the uh, the, uh, veteran. One is in Maryville and the other one's in DeMont. Um, And there's really nothing else we can do um, to uh, pressure or to provide uh, financial aid through the VA to other facilities. Uh, they have so many uh, Medicare patients that they're, uh, they're involved with and um, they don't have to take that 30 cents on a dollar that the VA, you know, uh, will pay. So uh, right now there's only two that will go ahead and, and provide, um, you know, the care that the veteran uh, should get should receive. So it's really pretty hard for uh, families to deal with that.
1: I saw Brenda put a chat box up there that um, she doesn't believe that Maryville is accepting VA benefits any longer. We can get confirmation on that, but it's something that, you know, we, we sort of deal with that every day as we're working on getting discharges out of the hospitals and trying to find placement for people. So Brenda would know, and um, no. that's really unfortunate. No. Um, and then the,
2: just a, a quick question for Jeff. Um Could you talk about the fees that are involved at the Veterans Service Office, the fees to the veterans?
4: Uh, So the way the system was set up for, uh, it's mandatory to have a service representative in every county, and we are a free service. We do not charge any fees uh, for a veteran to come in um, and work with us, Um, and we're more than happy to help. So yeah, no fees. One thing I'd like to add on to uh, about the nursing uh, home situation. Um, I just recently went down to Lafayette to the, the Indiana State uh, Veterans House there. It's a very nice facility. They're renovating it now uh, currently. Um, and that is an option and they will take it. A lot of the times they take Medicare as well. Uh, hmm. as was described to me. The gentleman that took over that program for enrollment services, uh, and maybe I can get the information to you guys about this, is very um, active in the veteran community. He's just a real go-getter. He basically said, I could list all the qualifications that the veteran will need or the spouse, but don't call me first. Don't try to do my job. <laughs> hmm. So he's, he's always looking for ways to help out veterans and their families. So that is a viable option.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Dorothy, is there any other chats out there that we need to clean up? Um,
3: No, I think we've explained the uh, secondary service
2: connection okay, and uh, everything else has been answered.
1: Dorothy, thank you for monitoring that tonight and thank you for your help, we appreciate it. Um, Erica, I'm gonna turn this back over then to you for um, closing remarks and as I'm doing that, I I really wanna thank Jeff, Jim and Angie Um, for your comments and um, sometimes answering twice my questions. Um, But um, as I was getting some clarification on things, so I really appreciate that. I I learned a lot tonight. So thank you very much for that. Erica.
0: Thank you, uh, Bob. And thank you to everybody um, on the panel tonight. Um, And thank you to everyone for attending tonight's panel discussion, navigating veteran benefits for the entire family. A sincere thank you again to our panelists for sharing their time and expertise with all of us tonight. Additional information is listed here um, on tonight's presentation, as well as a downloadable resource guide will be available on VNANWI.org within the next few days. We'll also have a recording of tonight's presentation. If you have any questions for us, you can also email us at veterans at VNANWI.org. Thank you, and have a wonderful evening.
1: Thanks, everybody. Good night. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Take care. Thank you.